Our passage this morning is going to be from 1 Samuel chapter 24. If you're using the uh, ESV Bibles that are in the pews, the page number is on the screen. It's number 246. Todd's going to be preaching the entire chapter, but I'm just going to read an excerpt starting uh, in verse 8 and reading up through verse 10. It says this. It says, Afterwards, God, or, uh, afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Well, we're in this series that we've called it uh, a study of the life of David, of people of God after the heart of God. Uh, And today I want to look at this passage and I want to look at it in in the lens of the sovereignty of God. And I want to look at it in this this way. How often do we uh, hear the words and the truth of the sovereignty of God, but we don't truly understand what it means. You see, see, every story in the life of David, every story in the book of the Old Testament and the New Testament is to point us to the God who is sovereign in control of all things. And then it's also to point us to King Jesus. So, so often we come to the studies of the characters of the Old Testament and we look at, you know, the story of Moses and we say, how do I most identify with Moses? How do I most identify with Noah, how do I most identify with Abraham? How do I most hear in this passage, these passages, do I most identify with David? You see, the stories of the Old Testament aren't for us to have character studies so we become more like those characters. Every story in God's holy word points back to the main character, Jesus. And yet so often we want to come and we want to, I think it's done disservice. Uh, We we come and we we teach children, man, if you could just become more like David, you could just become and be more like Moses, then they miss the gospel. They miss the truth of God's word. And so this morning I want to look at King Jesus and how he is sovereign in control of all things. The title of the message is A Life Spared. It's a little bit of a play on words. It's not really about the sparing of Saul's life, but the sparing of David's life in this passage. How many of us here this morning, uh, things are not going the way we would plan for them to go? Or how many of us have come to this place and somewhere in our journey, and we, we wake up and we think, man, I, I'm off the beaten path, whether by circumstances or by choices. You know, I, I get a chance every day to work with guys that uh, are, have come out of prison. And I often say to them, this is probably not what you dreamed of at 10 years old as you lay down on the floor playing with Legos. You didn't dream one day you were going to be getting out of prison. 
And, and for all of us in this room, I, I think if we're honest with ourselves, this is not how we would have written the script. Amen? And that's where we find David. This is not how David was thinking out in the fields as he tended to his father's flock. Think about it for a moment. I understand there was lions and there were bears, but for the most part, David just kind of relaxed with a harp and sang songs in a field. Not a bad job. I'm not saying it's a fun job. I'm just saying it's not a too, too terribly bad of a job. I mean, kind of a mindless job. And then one faithful day, he's tending his father's flocks, and he's called in to his father's house. And remember that? We studied that. And in that day, in that moment, everything in David's life changed. It was as if he got up in the morning that morning and put into his GPS where he wanted to go, and then uh, along his journey that day, you know that the faithful uh, voice of Siri or whatever app you use comes on and says, uh, you have made the wrong direction. You have turned the wrong way. Anyone ever done that before? Like, you, you think, man, I'm, I'm on track. I'm getting to where I need to go to. And then all of a sudden she says, hey, you've taken a detour. Well, unlike... Siri, unlike a computer, God doesn't change his plans the way Siri changes her plans for us. And that's where we find David. Remember David, that day gets anointed as king and he goes back to his father's field. And then a few days later, it says that David was told to go check on his brothers and then going on checking on his brothers, King, the, the, the champion Goliath is standing in opposition to God and the armies of God. And David had said, I, I've had enough of hearing from this flappy old man across the way. And he goes and kills Goliath. Again, another detour in his story. And then it says that we're coming back off the battlefield, not out of this big champion win. And it says... The women begin to sing about Saul and sing about David, and the hearts of the town, the hearts of the people become more in tune with David than it does Saul. And we've talked about how Saul gets really angry at David. You see, David didn't go out that day looking to become in opposition to Saul. He was just going to be obedient to God. And being obedient to God brought great offense from the king to him. And then you remember we talked about David and all these people that God had placed into his life. Jonathan and Samuel and his wife. And he had all these people. And then in God's sovereign hand, he took all those from him. And we looked last week. Now God has placed David in a tomb running for his life. I don't think David, that day in the field, when he went back after he was anointed, said to himself, hey, for the rest of of the king's life, I'm going to be running for my life. Do you think that's what he thought and dreamt of that day? No. And I don't think two weeks ago when we talked about all of the people that God placed into him, that he thought, man, I can't wait for the day God removes all those people. 
I don't think last week he was excited when those men came into the cave and they were in distress. And David said, man, that's who I want in my army. And yet we see the sovereign hand of God throughout the story of David. And here we are again. The sovereign hand of God is at work. And yet I ask the question this morning to you and to myself. How often do we find ourselves in places we don't want to be? And instead of turning to God, we take things onto our own agenda in our own time in our own way of dealing with things. That's that's what's going to happen in this moment with David. Let's start with chapter 24, 25, and 26. I'm going to look just primarily at 24, but if you get a chance this week, read the rest of those three chapters. They're, They're really three of the exact same chapters in three different ways. Chapter 24 is about David sparing Saul's life. 25 is about David fleeing, and then chapter uh, 26 is David sparing Saul's life again. But remember this as we get started. David is on the run again. He's running from Saul. Saul wants to kill him still. And yet we see a life spared. Yes, it's Saul's life, but ultimately it's King David's life who is spared. It says this, And when Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness. You see, what happens in chapter 23 is that the, he, da, Saul is pursuing David, and then it says that the Philistines come and uh, get in the way of Saul's plan to kill David. And so Saul says, Okay, we got to put this mission to kill David on pause, and we got to go deal with the Philistines. So he goes and kills the Philistines, And then it says this, he comes out of that war and then someone brings news to Saul where David is. And it says, he goes back and he pursues. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of Israel and went to seek David and his men in the wild goat's rock. It means the cave. So here's Saul with 3,000 men. You can see in verse chapter 23 that at this time, uh, David has about 600 men. So he's got 600 men. Remember, those men were not the chosen men of Israel the way these warriors were for Saul. They were distraught, homeless men. And so Samuel, or Saul, comes after David with 3,000 men. That's a five-to-one ratio. The odds don't look good, do they? Like, I'm going to choose an army of... 600 distraught men or 3,000 chosen men. I I believe that Saul thought, man, this is the day. I'm finally going to get my enemy, David. And yet we see the sovereign hand of God. Where does God take Saul and his men to? Let's turn. It says this. And he came to the sheepfold by the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. God takes Saul to the very cave that David and all of his men are in to relieve himself. God's in the details. I don't want to make a potty joke, but God's in the details. 
God used Samuel's body to accomplish God's will for his life and for David's life. Let me say that again. God chose his body to accomplish his mission. And how many of us, myself included, I I get so angry with God when God does things to my body. I I mean, I'm 41. I'm not completely falling apart yet, but I'm beginning to fall apart. I I mean, but I wonder, I just pause there. I mean, I could just preach a message just on that, that God will use our bodies to bring about his goals for our lives. I think of you, uh, Miss Teresa, and your brother Bobby. God used cancer to bring him to Jesus. And I could go around the room and point at how God is using things in our life that we would say, God, no, 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 no. But do we believe that God is sovereign over every cell in my body? There's not one cell in my body that God is not sovereign and control over. And it's to accomplish his will for my life and for the lives of those men and women around me. And yet how often do we dismiss what God's doing in just our physical bodies? Again, I could preach a whole sermon just on that. And so here Saul is, Saul is pursuing David and his men, and it says that he has to go use the restroom. And in that day, the king would not use the restroom in front of other people. He would not defile himself or uh, bring undignity into himself, so he'd go away so no one could see him to use the restroom. So Saul wanders into this dark, dark cave. And what does it say in verse 4? Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. I mean, the world said that's just happenstance. It just happened that Saul wandered into the very cave that David was in. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen the landscape of where they're talking about, but there's caves everywhere over there. It's not like, like, it's not like, uh, here that there's some caves here and some caves there they're they're everywhere but god's sovereign and has a plan and the plan is not just for saul the plan is going to be for david in this moment so he wanders in the cave and then the people the men that were with david this is what they say in verse four here's the day which the lord has said to you behold i will give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. So two things I want to point out here. I want to ask you to ask yourself this question. First is, who do you surround yourself with? Because the next question I'll say to this is, the men that David surrounded himself with, that sounds like the truth of God. That sounds like, oh man, this is the day, David, like God's hand is in all this. Like how would God bring us to this cave and how would God bring Saul into this cave? This has got to be the day. 
And they say to David, this is the day that the Lord has made for you to kill Saul. But that's not the words of God at all. And so the first question, who do you and I surround ourselves with? Because I promise this, when times get bad, we're going to always run to other people for support, for prayer, for words of encouragement. And if we don't have really, really godly counsel that really know and trust Jesus, their information they might give us sounds really well, but it's the farthest thing from God because that's not what God had for David. Like his men, the men are like, David, man, we don't, we won't have to, I can just imagine that quiet conversation in the cave. Like, David, this is the day we will have to, we don't have to run anymore. This is the day that, man, remember when you were a teenage boy, God was going to anoint you as the king. You were anointed. This is the day you get to be the king. Everything in your life from this moment on, if you take things in your own hands and kill Saul, everything will change. Anyone ever felt that way before? It just, look, man, this looks like God's will for my life. And so we go and get counsel from other people, and the counsel is, man, this looks like God's will for your life. And yet we see one thing that David does not do in this passage until later on. He does not turn to God and say, God, this is the counsel I'm receiving, but what do you say for me to do? And what does it say? You see, we come to this passage and we say to ourselves, man, David, David did what was right. No, no, David did not do what was right. Like David is not an upstanding hero because of what his next actions are. And David himself will see that in the text later on. And it says this, then David, he arose and stoutly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. We were talking in our deacons meeting about a ninja. That's a ninja. Like you walk up on someone using the bathroom and they don't know you walked up on them. I don't know if he did some army crawl. I I don't know if he held his breath. I don't know what David did, but David walked up to a man relieving himself. And it says this. And he cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And then in that moment, something happened in the heart of David. Something happened in the moment of David because in that moment as he crawled and he walked up to Saul and he cut off off his robe, he thought, man, this is what God has given me to do. This has got to be God's plan for my life. And I think there's this moment where David cuts it off and he turns to walk back to his men. And it says this about David when he turns to address his men. I think the heart of David was quickened and brought deep conviction. The Bible, that all of our translations miss what David does. In verse 5, and afterwards, David's heart struck him because he cut off the corner of Saul's robe. 
he turns, and in turning, it so symbolizes the turning from and to repentance and conviction. I'm going this way. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to take it in my hands. I take it. I do what I think I need to do. And we, he takes it in his hand. He has the robe in his hands. And he turns it. And in the moment of turning, there's this heartache for David. And he says to David, and to David's men, he says this. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing as he is the Lord's anointed. You see, we miss it in the text. But those few words, those five words he said to his men, the Hebrew says it this way, that he ripped into his men. He laced into him. He, it says he, the, the same words are like tearing of flesh. That's how much he comes against what the people that he told him, hey, this is your day. No, no, this is not my day. And he rebukes them strongly. It is not my day. Who am I that I should even put my hand on the Lord's anointed? You, you see, we read the text and we think, man, David spared his life. Which he did. But David in the moment is spared his own life because of conviction and repentance. And I wonder for us, church, how often we're off the beaten path and we just do subtle things along the way. We just cut off the end of the road. How that looks is like this. Well, my wife, She's just not the kindest person. She just doesn't talk to me as much as I'd like her to talk to me. So we wander into the office place. And we just have that small conversation with our female coworker. Now, I haven't done anything. I haven't talked sexually to anybody. But it's in my heart what I'm going after her for because I'm really running from my wife. I'm just cutting off the edge of the robe. Or they won't miss two pins from the office. Like, I look, I, I stay over. I work overtime. I just take those two pins. I need some pins to write with in my purse. Like, we do the little things. You see, it was a little thing that David cut off the edge of the robe. But David's heart was quickened by conviction. Or, you know, that relationship, it's not all bad. I'm the boss. I can do certain things that other people can't do. We do the small things. And yet David's heart is quickened. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. Could you imagine that moment that David's turning around and begins to rebuke the men and says, who am I that we should even touch the king? 
I wonder if the men were like, what were you thinking? This was our chance, man. This was our opportunity to be free. This was our opportunity to not have to run, and you're, you're going to do that? I wonder how disappointed those men were that day. Like, there's something in them that had to say, man, we're going to keep running, and now, oh, no, what have we done? And so it says this, do not attack Samuel, or Saul, excuse me. And Saul arose and left the cave and went on his way. And afterwards, verse 8, afterwards David also arose and went out of the cave and called to Saul. You see, not only in that moment, does David get it right with God? But now he's got to go get it right with Saul. Like David has to know, man, I'm about to go out of this cave and I'm about to, to go and challenge the king and tell the king what I just did. And I wonder if for a moment, David, as he's walking out of the cave, looks behind him, he's like, man, I, I hope you guys show up because this could get real bad real quick. There's 600 of you guys and... 3,000 of you guys. And yet the heart of David said, I have to go get it right, not just with my God, I've got to go get it right with other people. Because David says, who am I that I should take the sovereign hand of God and put it in my finite hand? Who am I that should take control of things I must go get it right with God. I must go now get it right with King Saul. And he goes out of the cave and he calls the King Saul and says to Saul, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed his face to the earth and paid homage. Like David sees the king, the king turns around and the proper response to David is to pay homage to the king. Remember, this is the man who's trying to kill him. There's no love lost between these two men, but there's a level of respect that D David has to Saul, not because of Saul, but because of what he just said beforehand. Who am I that I should touch the Lord's anointed? And, and I wonder in our lives, church, how many things God places in our lives that we don't see are from God himself, whether it's your boss, your spouse, your child, your co-worker, all the sovereign hand of God places all these things in our life for our good and for God's glory. And yet so often we, we don't want to deal with what God has placed in our lives for our good and for his glory. We want to take them on for our own. But David said, who am I? And he paid respect to where respect was due. Not because it was Saul, but because who Saul belonged to. Like here's a wicked man. This is not a righteous, godly king. This is a wicked man that's pursuing David to kill him so that David would not become the king. And yet David sees Saul for who he is, not as a wicked king, but because God has placed him in his life. 
And I wonder for us, do we see cancer that way? Do we see our neighbor that way? Do we see our work, co-worker that way? Do we see our ex-spouse that way? Do we see our children that way? That God is sovereign and places things in our life on purpose. They aren't there by happenstance. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of the men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, the day, this day, your eye has seen how the Lord gave you into my hand and in this cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. And I said, I will not put my hand against the Lord, my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe is in my hand. For the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I did not, I do not sit against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge you. See, in that moment, the heart of David is changed. In the moment, David realizes what it said in Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. One pastor says it this way. There's four primary ways that we tend to take things into our own hands. Now, there's probably a lot more than four, but four primary ways. And for you this morning, I want you to identify with one of the four, if not all four. How do you tend to when things are not going your way and you're not trusting in the sovereignty and the goodness of God, do you take the reins of your life? The first one is what David said he would not do. Vengeance. The old saying goes, hurt people, hurt people. You see, in that moment, David's hurting. That moment, David's very confused. In that moment, David's frightened. In that moment, David's terrified. In that moment, David's running for his life. And vengeance would say, hey, this is the day. That's what his friends were saying. This is the day. Kill him. Get rid of your enemy. But how many of us do that? Now, we probably don't kill people. But remember what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount? If you have anger in your heart towards something, you've already murdered them. And I wonder how many of us today sit with vengeance on our heart towards another person. The second one he says is we self-medicate our pain. Drugs, alcohol, tobacco, lust, food, reading, exercise, the list goes on and on and on and on and on we go. That, that we try to use all these things externally to medicate the pain of the heart. But yet none of them fully medicate the heart, do they? No. There's only one that can medicate the heart, 
It's Christ and Christ alone. The third one he says is this. Is that we begin to compromise. We, we begin to take the shortcuts. We begin not to do what is hard. And the fourth one is simply this. We try to get ahead of God and the sovereign will of God. We try to outthink God. In other words, we don't practice patience. I don't know about you, but I hate waiting on the Lord. I guess I'm the only one, Brother Frank, today. I hate waiting on the Lord. I want it my way, and I want it right away. I want life to be like Burger King. Your way, right away. The customer's always right. That's not true in God's economy. But man, is that not true in your life and in my life? I mean, I want it to happen. I want it to happen now. I need relief. And that was ultimately what David was going to do in that cave until his heart quickened him. You see, in that moment, who knows how the rest of history would have been written if David in that moment had not extended mercy and grace to Saul, even by not just not if he didn't kill him. What if he had killed him? He would have been outside the will of God. Because God's word says, do not murder. And yet, I, I wonder to us, church, back to who do we surround ourselves with? You see, there's no doubt in your life and in my life, I, I want the desires of my heart. Anyone else in the room? And we'd all quote the verse. He will give you the desires of your heart. Everyone heard that verse before? Do you know what the, 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 that's the second half of the verse. That's not the complete verse. Yet the church has taught us that, hey, just, hey, God gives you the desires of your heart. But you know what the verse really says in its entirety? Delight yourself in the Lord. And he gives you the desires of your heart. You know why? Because when we begin to delight ourselves in the Lord, our hearts change. That's what happened to David in the cave. It happened in a split moment. But his desire was to kill Saul. But he remembered back to being a boy in the field, spending time with God. And God said to him, my ways, not your ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. That's from Isaiah. But David began to understand, God has a purpose and a plan for my life. And it's not for me to take control. It's for him, his sovereign will, for it to play out for me. And so I asked the question, we all want the desires of our heart. But do we delight ourselves in the Lord? The other verse is this. Psalm 119.11. In delighting yourself in the Lord, have you stored his word in your heart so that you might not sin against him? You see, when it comes to the sovereignty of God, we must know the will of God. 
And I think so often we don't know the desires of our heart and our hearts are so wicked because we don't hide ourselves in the word of God and the word of God does not shape us. Our own desires shape us. Our culture shapes us. Our wants shape us. But the word of God does not shape us. And yet that's what David said. Who am I to come against the Lord's anointed? Because he had spent time with the Lord. And he knew what the Lord's desire was for him and for Saul. And then we see Saul in this moment says to David, he has this awakening. I don't think it's true repentance. I think it's true terror. Because we'll see in chapter 26, if it was true repentance, he wouldn't have gone back after David again. And he says to David in sheer terror and panic, hey, just, just, just don't cut me off. When you're the king, just don't cut me off. I understand that God's sovereign in control of all things, so don't cut me off. But in yet in two chapters later, he forgets the sovereign will of God. And yet there's one man that never forgets the sovereign will of God. And we'll see it again in chapter in 2 Samuel chapter 2. Yes, David goes astray again and takes his own desires in his hands. It's the sin with Bathsheba. We'll get that in a few weeks. But it always will go back to having a heart after God's is through repentance. You see, a life spared comes out of true repentance. You see, here's the deal for all of us. We most identify with Saul in this passage. We ought to be killed for the treason we have in our hearts. We all are going after the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to kill him. That is what sin ultimately does. It says that you are not enough and I'm going to take your creation and put it into my hands. And yet we see in the fullness of the Gospels that there is a greater David who spares our lives. He didn't just cut off a corner of a robe for us. He died on a cross for us. You see, this story points us all the way back to Jesus Christ. When Jesus is in the wilderness being tempted by Satan, he had the easy road at that moment. Remember that Satan takes Jesus to all the kingdom and says, hey, it's all yours if you take the easy way. But Jesus was set to never take the easy way. You see, the easy way for Jesus that day would have cut off the edge of the robe and said, yeah, I'll take the easy way. I won't go all the way to Calvary. But Jesus said, no, no, no. I don't take the easy way. I die on the cross for the people I love and care for. And so our example not to take the easy way isn't David, but it's King Jesus. And that's what we come this morning. We'll partake of the Lord's Supper. This is not the easy way. His body broken for us and his blood spilled out for us is not the easy way. Remember in the garden, he asked God, God, take this from me. 
That's my desire, God. Jesus is saying this. My desire is that you would take this from me. My desire is the easy way, Jesus is saying. But what does he say after that? But it's not my will. It's your will that ought to be done. And your will, Father, is not the easy way. And so church, our sanctification will never come easy to us. Let us pray. God, I I pray that you would prepare our hearts in this moment as we come to your table and partake in your supper. Because this is way more than some small pieces of cracker and juice. This is a reminder to every one of us in the room that your life was broken and your blood was spilled out for us. And God, that this would be a reminder to all of us that when we want to take the easy way out, that you never did. And so God, I pray if there's anyone in here this morning that the conviction from your spirit has come and it says to them, you're taking the easy way. That there may be that relationship in the office that this needs to be cut off. That there may be pins in our purse that need to be given back. Whatever those things are along our journey, God, that we say, oh, you're not going to come through for me. I've got to do it my way. Because all those ways act in disobedience to you and what you've called us to. So yes, Lord Jesus, Saul's life was spared that day. But I believe even more so, David's life was spared because of repentance and obedience. And the greater picture for us, Lord Jesus, is that all of us would act in repentance and obedience because of the cross. Lead us and guide us this morning as we come and prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. Amen.